Last time on FAQ City, we answered some basic questions about electric vehicles. If you are considering whether to buy an electric car or truck, you know there's a lot to consider. Getting rid of carbon emissions from your tailpipe is good for the planet, but it's really a mind shift. Charlottean Beau Proctor has been thinking all this through. The electric vehicle seems to be a logical place to go to cut down on emissions and I'm willing to be a pioneer of sorts, even though I'm certainly not the first one to be an electric vehicle owner. Today on FAQ City, we'll answer more questions about EVs with WFAE climate reporter David Borax, and we'll hear more from Proctor and other drivers and experts. We'll talk about the nuts and bolts of charging stations, hydrogen-powered vehicles, and what to say if your friend questions the climate friendliness of an electric car. That's just ahead. Hey, it's Claire Donnelly, WFAE climate reporter. David Borax is back with us this week to talk more about electric vehicles. Hey, David. Hey, Claire. Vroom, vroom, or maybe I should say whisper, whisper. <laughs> um, so last time you mentioned you wanted to replace your Honda Fit with an electric. How's your research going? I'm learning a lot. You know, I went to the Charlotte Auto Show the other day at the Charlotte Convention Center to try and get some more information. And most of the floor was still gas-powered cars, you know, SUVs that get 19 miles to the gallon. But there were a few hybrids and electrics, and they did have an electric vehicle display in the corner with some good-looking cars. Wow, um, I'm surprised there weren't more EVs, were you? Well, not really. I mean, right now, electric cars are only about 2% of auto sales in the U.S. You know, Bre President Biden has set a national goal of 50% by 2030, and we're still really early in the transition. So... You know, as we talked about previously, most of what Americans are buying are Teslas, but other brands are catching up on design and marketing. Okay, so in that little EV corner at the car show, what cars were there? Well, there was a Jeep, a Kia, a Volkswagen, and a Polestar 2 from Volvo. I spent a lot of time looking at that one. It's got a luxury interior with a middle-of-the-road range of about 250 miles and a price tag of about $46,000. And just to remind folks, how does that stack up price-wise? It's kind of in the middle to lower end. I mean, prices for a new electric can run from about $30,000 to well over $100,000 and beyond. That's before the federal tax credit of up to $7,500. And they have varying ranges how far they can go on a charge, from about 100 miles to as far as 600 miles. Okay, so now let's go back to Bo Proctor, the guy we heard from at the beginning of the episode. He's been looking at EVs too. How is he making his decision? He started out with some basic requirements for cost, range, and how he plans to use it. Like he wanted to be able to put a couple of kayaks on top. I wanted it to be able to haul as much as I currently do, tow as much as I currently tow. I want a four-wheel drive vehicle and be able to go at least 300 miles. So I've been out pursuing that and a little harder than you might think to actually find that vehicle. He looked at the Tesla X, which costs more than $100,000, but it wouldn't be able to handle the kayaks or other hauling. He really liked the Volkswagen ID4, but it's rated at only about 250 miles. So Proctor says he put down a $1,000 refundable deposit on a Rivian SUV. The way he configured it, the Rivian is about $25,000 cheaper than the Tesla. Oh, yeah. I remember we talked about Rivian in our last episode. It's one of the new EV companies, right, with the so-called adventure vehicles? Yeah. So Rivian is one of those startup electric vehicle companies that we talked about. Bo says he's on the list for a January delivery, though the company recently has started telling customers their vehicles are delayed. 
And here's an interesting aside. Rivian just sold stock to the public for the first time, and its shares went through the roof. If you put in an order before September 30th, like Bo Proctor did, you got the right to buy shares at the original offering price of $78. That's according to Fortune magazine. On opening day, the shares went up 50%, and they're still up. If customers actually took advantage of the offer, they could make enough to cover their down payments or more. Nice. Okay, so let's talk about charging. Are there enough EV chargers out there? No. Uh, You know, we're still in the early stages of building out chargers nationwide. Generally speaking, you'll find more in urban areas and along interstates and fewer none in rural areas. And are but there are plans to add more, right? Yeah, there's seven and a half billion dollars for charging stations in the infrastructure bill that President Joe Biden just signed. And state and local governments, private companies and electric utilities are all planning to expand charging networks. It's really the key to expanding electric vehicle adoption. And just one more note on that, the United Kingdom recently became the first country to require EV charges in all new homes, supermarkets, commercial buildings, and buildings that are being renovated. That could mean 145,000 new chargers a year in the UK, according to the government. The British need to do this because they're planning to end the sale of gas-powered vehicles by 2030. And not all electric vehicle chargers are the same, right? There are different kinds? Yes, there are different kinds. Uh, How fast your battery charges depends on how much electricity is flowing through the charger. So mobile phone chargers work that way. Some are faster than others. In the EV world, we talk about three types, sometimes called level one, level two, and level three. Okay, let's start with level one. So level one is your standard 120-volt wall outlet. It's sometimes called a trickle charger, and as that suggests, it's the slowest of the three. Most EVs come with an adapter for this basic kind of charging. And what about levels two and three? Level two is a faster 240-volt outlet, like what your appliances are hooked up to. Most public chargers are level two at parking garages, public buildings, shopping centers, or malls. And level three, sometimes called a fast charger or DC fast charger, that's the fastest of the three. This is what Tesla has on its global supercharger network. For now, it's only open to Tesla owners, but CEO Elon Musk said recently that eventually they'll be open to non-Tesla owners, too. How long do each of these chargers take to fully charge a battery? Well, that's a good question. For level one, it will take at least overnight and maybe a day or two to fully charge. For level two, figure on six to 12 hours, depending on what model and battery you have. And then for level three, you can get up to 200 miles of range with just 15 to 20 minutes of charging. Yeah, that sounds fast. So you'd want to try to find a level three charger on your trip to the beach or something. Speaking of which, how do I find charging stations? A lot of EVs come with a built-in app, or you can get an app for your smartphone that helps you locate a charger. Teslas will plan your whole route with a charging stop built in. ChargePoint is another charging company. They have a mapping app for their network, and there are others like PlugShare and ChargeHub. Google Maps also shows charging stations. And just to remind us, uh, are charging stations free? Some are and some aren't. You know, once upon a time, Tesla gave away free charging for the life of your car, when you bought the car, but that's no longer true. Your employer or your grocery store may offer it as a perk, but as we talked about last time, experts think charging will mostly be a paid service in the long run, just like the gas pump. How much does it cost to charge up, and how do I pay for it? Well, first, if you charge at home, it's all part of your utility bill. The price is whatever you pay for electricity, so about 12 or 13 cents per kilowatt hour in North Carolina. Multiply that by the capacity of your battery. So a basic Tesla 3 with a 
50 kilowatt hour battery would be six or six and a half dollars to fully charge from zero. Uh, just compare that to a tank of gas. What about if you use one of the public chargers? How does that work? You can pay with a smartphone app or a credit card. And the cost is going to vary widely depending on the provider, the cost of the electricity where you are, the size of your battery, and how much you drive. In general, expect it to be less than the cost of filling up your gas tank. You know, I picked up a handout at the auto show comparing major EV models, their ranges, prices, and savings. It showed monthly fuel savings of anywhere from about 40 to 80 bucks. Can people install level two or level three chargers at their houses? Yes, for a level two, but it won't necessarily be easy. A level two charger could run you $500 to $2,500 or more. And of course, you'll need an electrician who can determine if your home's electrical service is sufficient. The federal government offers a tax credit of up to $1,000. Some communities or utilities offer rebates to help with the cost. And here in North Carolina, Duke Energy is seeking approval for a rebate program. And some home builders are starting to include chargers on all new homes they build. And what about a level three charger? Could you try installing one of those at your house? Yeah, that would be a no. Uh, you, first, you would need to upgrade your to a commercial level of electrical service, something that you would never do at your house. And then the units themselves can cost tens of thousands of dollars, not including installation. It would be like paying for a second car, and it wouldn't make financial sense. So unless you're loaded, it's not really an option. Wow, yeah. That, well, that makes sense. Um, what about people who live in apartments? Can they, how can they charge? Most existing apartments, you know, just like homes, don't have chargers. And you can't just install one yourself in the apartment parking garage. But many newer apartment parking garages do come with EV chargers. So this may be a case where you need to find an apartment building that has chargers, where rent most likely would be more expensive. Yeah, what if I can't afford a higher rent? I know, right? So some experts suggest trying to find a standard outlet near your parking spot in the garage there and running an extension cord to your charging cord. Of course, that won't work if you park on the street. Uh, or you can become a daytime charger, you know, charge it at work. Many workplaces now have EV chargers in their parking lots or garages. Or, you know, also, is there a charger at a store or business that you frequent? The bottom line is if you have an apartment and you want an electric car, you just have to be very strategic about charging. Okay, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll talk about why electric vehicles don't have a spare tire and other things you might want to know about EVs. Don't go anywhere. Exciting news, podcast fans. After last year's successful event, the Charlotte Podcast Festival pop-up is underway again through December 4th. This pop-up is free and open to the public, featuring panel discussions on things like how to record, edit, host, and market podcasts, plus much more. A complete schedule and list of festival speakers is at charlottepodcastfestival.com. The Charlotte Podcast Festival pop-up is sponsored by Ortho Carolina. It's a partnership between WFAE and Blumenthal Performing Arts. Additional support comes from Queen City Podcast Network and Eclex Creative Agency. Okay, we're back. Today, we're talking with WFAE climate reporter David Borax about electric vehicles. So, David, let's talk about other costs of owning an electric vehicle. Are they expensive to maintain? Oh, that's an easy one. They're not. Uh, there's no engine to maintain, just electric motors that don't require a lot of routine maintenance. I put this question to Tesla owner Jeff Bogan of Lake Wiley. My personal experience is I have a 2018. I've got almost 80,000 miles on it. I'm, I just put my second set of tires on the car. And 
I have put two sets of wiper blades on the car. Other than that, I took it in for the scheduled uh, checkup for the electric motors uh, year two, and they were in perfect condition. So that's it. Now there is one caveat here. Many electric cars don't have spare tires. If you take care of your tires and they're not too old, that shouldn't be a problem. But it can be a nightmare if you run over a nail or something. Wait, why no spare tire? <laughs> because the EV's battery takes up space traditionally used for the spare tire. Same reason why gas vehicles come with those undersized space saver spares. And spares also add weight, which reduces range. Oh, okay. So what happens if you get a flat tire in an EV? Well, many EVs come with a tire repair kit so you can do a quick fix and limp to a repair shop if you can. But you may not be up for that or it may not be possible. So manufacturers like Tesla usually just tell you to call their road service. If you're lucky, the wrecker that responds will have a loaner tire and rim. If not, you could be in for a longer delay than you expected. Wow, that's super surprising. And I also never thought about why tires were uh, spare tires were smaller. Are there any other little electric vehicle quirks that people might not know? Well, here's another one. You know, these cars are totally networked, which means they communicate with their makers. Actually, that sounds kind of sci-fi, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, the other day, a server outage caused some Tesla drivers to be locked out of their cars. You know, you can lock and start your car using the Tesla app on your smartphone. But when the app went down, people were left out in the cold. You don't need the app. The cars come with a key fob or a key card. But if you get used to the app and you stop carrying your key fob, you're stuck. I'm not sure how many people were affected. I know that Tesla CEO Elon Musk apologized on Twitter. Wow. Um, so what about insurance? Is it the same as for my gas-powered car? Right. We can't forget about that. You know, in general, auto insurance for electric vehicles can be more expensive. The website NerdWallet studied insurance premiums for the Tesla Model 3, and they found that they're 40% higher than the national average for car insurance. That's because the cars are more expensive to begin with, so you're buying more insurance. And in some cases, they can be more expensive to repair if you get in an accident. So add that to your calculations. But the total cost of ownership may still be lower than a gas vehicle. Remember, you're not paying for all that gas and maintenance. Yeah, when you talk about considering whether to get an electric vehicle, it seems like it's a really good idea to compare costs. Is there an easier way to do that than putting together your own really detailed spreadsheet? Yeah, there are good EV total cost of ownership calculators all over the Internet. I'd go with a reliable website like the U.S. Department of Energy or a recognized auto website that lets you adjust the inputs. These look at where you live, your driving habits, how many miles you drive in a day in a year, what percentage is highway versus city, that sort of thing. Oh, cool. Okay. Have you tried any of these? I used the U.S. Energy Department calculator to compare the Tesla Model 3 with a Chevy Bolt and a new gas-powered Honda Accord. Using my driving habits and local information, the Tesla came out on top over 15 years. And as far as day-to-day -day operation goes, the Tesla came out to about 20 cents a mile, followed by the Chevy Bolt at 21 cents and the Accord at 26 cents. Nice. So there are still a lot of skeptics out there when it comes to EVs. Our friend from earlier, Bo Proctor, says he's run into them. I had a friend, uh, first response to me was that the production of the battery and vehicle produced uh, more emissions than it will save. And I was curious how he would respond to that. David, do you have any advice for him? It's a fair question. You know, there is vocal opposition to electric vehicles, and this is one of their arguments. 
It's true that manufacturing new electric cars and batteries in some cases may be less climate-friendly than conventional vehicles, and sometimes worse. That's because more energy is used to build them, especially the batteries. So Bose Friend scores a point there. Yep. But you really need to compare energy use and cost, for that matter, over the life of your vehicle. I'm talking about manufacturing to charging and driving to all the way to retirement. In that respect, EVs have the better carbon footprint, and the picture keeps getting better. As our energy grid becomes greener and less reliant on fossil fuels, the EV to gas guzzler comparison will widen further. If you want to fact check some of the criticisms, you can go to the EPA's electric vehicle myths page. It really depends on where we get our electricity. Exactly. And it really varies widely. I mean, every state and, or country has a different energy mix and some are more climate friendly than others. As it turns out in the Carolinas here, we get a decent score because we get half our electricity from nuclear energy and we have solar as well. And how long do these electric vehicle batteries last? Most EV batteries come with a warranty of something like eight years and 100,000 miles. Some are calculated according to the battery's remaining capacity. How does that work? Well, you know, uh, you probably know from your mobile phone or your laptop that batteries slowly lose their capacity over time, right? So, for example, the warranties on many Tesla models are triggered when batteries fall to about 70% of their original capacity. In general, for most drivers, though, the battery should last as long as you own your car. And can the batteries be recycled? Yeah, but there's still a lot of research to be done, and we need to build out the infrastructure for recycling. You know, the good news is that when a battery degrades to an unacceptable level, say that 70% of original capacity, it can still find other uses. A driver may demand full capacity to get all 300-something miles that you're supposed to get, but a used battery can still be used for energy storage or other uses where full capacity doesn't matter. And even if it can't be reused, Many of the materials in a battery, like lithium, for example, can be recycled into new batteries. The Federal Department of Energy says reusing materials from lithium-ion batteries could help cut production costs by up to 30 percent by reducing demand for newly mined minerals. That makes sense. So now what about other possible alternatives to gas-powered cars? Like, what's up with hydrogen cars? Yeah, hydrogen fuel cell cars are another alternative to internal combustion vehicles, They produce electricity through a reaction that frees up electrons to power your vehicle motor. Hydrogen can be made using wind or solar power, and it can be delivered via filling stations, just like gasoline. Hydrogen-powered vehicles don't require plugging into the electric grid. The technology has been around for decades, but it's never really gotten momentum. Still, there are people who think that hydrogen cars and trucks could be part of an emissions-free future. Yeah, I've also been seeing more people riding e-bikes. You know, those electric bikes with the really fat tires? So obviously, electric cars aren't the only alternative vehicles on the road. You're right. You know, I read the other day that e-bikes are the fastest-growing type of electric vehicles right now. And there are other small electric vehicles, you know, think golf carts and scooters. Our roads aren't exactly safe for smaller vehicles like these, in my opinion. But as they get more popular, we may see new rules and special lanes and that sort of thing. A lot of people's daily trips are short, you know, just a few miles to the grocery store or office. So these could make sense. And some communities already allow golf carts. And Claire, there's one more option for us as we try to get away from fossil fuels. Oh, yeah? What's that? The idea of ditching your car altogether. (sighs) And going with a bicycle or a public transportation, such as a train or a bus, you know, there's all, that's already an option in urban areas. Uh, not sure it would work right now in rural areas or car-centric suburbs, at least not until we bring back reliable buses and trains. Right, yeah. 
All right. That's WFAE climate reporter David Borax. Thank you so much, David, for helping us answer all of these electric vehicle questions. You're welcome, Claire. And if you have any additional questions about electric vehicles or anything related to the environment or climate change, send it to David. You can contact him by visiting WFAE.org slash climate news and typing in the submission box. He might answer your question in his climate newsletter, which if you aren't already subscribed to, you can also do at that website. Until next time, I'm Claire Donnelly.